Um, I'm going to invite all of you to meet me at Psalm 33. Psalm 33, if you have a copy of the Scriptures. Um, if you happen to be new with us and may not be familiar with how the Scriptures are laid out, it's about right in the middle. And so hopefully you'll be able to see it's the largest book that we have in, um, in the Scriptures. And this is, a long, uh, this is a long psalm. It's about uh, 22 verses. If you're able, please stand. If not, please be upright and hard as we listen to His Word together. Psalm 33. And this is the word of the Lord. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre and make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Play to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice and the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel, the, brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever and the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. The warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So how we worship together, not, not individually, but how we worship together, a lot of it depends upon our family upbringing or the tradition that we grew up in. Let me tell you a little bit about mine. We would walk into the service, nothing was said. Nothing was said at all. We, there was not a lot of idle chatter as we walked in. That was for the lobby. That was for the parking lot. Um, as you may have noticed, we don't do that now. Um, I, I, that was something that I didn't um, take with me necessarily because for a pastor, it's always good seeing God's people fellowship, and I think it pleases him as well. But when I walked in, I, I, I would notice that at the top of our bulletin, right at the, at the very top where we have a scripture that's uh, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Well, the passage of Scripture that was there was from Habakkuk. Yes, Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 20, which said, The, earth, the Lord is in his holy temple. You know it? That all the earth keeps silence before him. 
So what they did was they appropriated that passage, which was actually dealing with the fact that the people of Israel at that time were being disobedient and God was about to use the Babylonians, who were their political enemies. God was about to use the Babylonians as an instrument of discipline and chastisement. And they were chattering and talking back to the Lord like, you can't do this. How can you do this? And he's finally saying, stop, be silent. I have spoken. This is the way that it's going to be. That was that. Was that. But we appropriate passages every so often to um, appeal to whatever we're trying to do, and we've got to be real careful about that. Now, so when I went off to college and I um, would go on missions trips and such, I would go and be around where there was a lot of animation. It was a little more animated. There would be hands raised, whereas if that happened at my church growing up, there would have been a deacon's meeting right after church. Not kidding. Yeah, not kidding. <laughs> There's no kidding here. Um, there would have been there would have been some sort of conversation that was going on, whereas there would be conversations between uh, the pastor and and those who were in the in the congregation. And when I went to Trinidad and Tobago, and and there was a conversation that was going on, I found out that was why they preached for an hour because the more that there would be conversation back toward me, the more I would get revved up and want to keep on keep on preaching. And that's why in Trinidad they would even say if you've preached an hour. You're just getting warmed up. Yeah? And all God's people said, right? Okay. Well, I should say all God's people said, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. But really, it depends upon that. And I, and I think rather than, rather than looking at our traditions and how we've grown up or even our preferences, I, I think when we look at this passage of Scripture, God is talking about how praise needs to be external. And I, and I would even say this, if you have been changed by Christ and there is something in you that has happened, you can't keep it inside. Even if you grew up in that particular tradition, you may say, amen. And that might be as far as you go. You might nod your head in agreement. You might be ones who are inwardly processing that, but it comes out. And even if in our day-to-day Monday through Saturday conversation, if God does something good, you're going to tell somebody about it. And you're going to rejoice in it. You're going to sing about it. Well, I can't sing. You won't be able to help being able to sing. And I think when we realize this, we realize the gravity, the, the, the gravity of our sin and the graciousness of our Savior. And you bring those two things together, you're not going to be able to help but praise. Um, I think that's what this psalm is all about. We've, we've covered a couple of laments. And I think that's been helpful for us to make sure that we are being aware of what's happening inside of us so that we can bring our requests to the Father and, and recognize that He wants us to lean into these things and, well, you know, what God, you know, God, what's going on? Why is this happening? Well, I will show you. There is Sam, Samuel Chan wrote a book called, uh, I think it's called The Pain of Leadership, A Classroom for Growth. Because pain can be growth. Pain can be a teacher. You, there's things that you'll learn about yourself in the laments, or that's, that's causing the laments, that will make you learn things that you wouldn't learn if everything was smooth. But when everything is smooth, and he brings you out of that, or even when you re- see the hope in the midst of the hopelessness that the world is saying, 
then there's some praise that's going to come out. And when you see in this, praise befits the upright. Those that have been rescued by the righteousness of Christ, and now we are righteous because of Christ, praise befits us. Does it befit you? Or are there some obstacles in you, whether it's unbelief? You're not a Christian. You're having a hard time praising Christ because Christ is not in you. And you aren't really seeing what he's all about. I hope before you leave that the Spirit will open up your heart so you'll see. But even if you are a Christian, your upbringing may have been like, i got to keep it together. It's, it's, it's backing up. I want to get it, but i got to keep it together. we got to be careful what we're seeing in the Scriptures and make sure that we are appropriating what the Scriptures are saying. Not your traditions. Not your preferences. Not what you're imposing on somebody else. Hey, you got to keep it down. Who says? Because the, the Word says something different. Let's look at what the Word has to say. First thing, you see that the Word and song fuel our praise. We have just spent a lot of time singing. Right? We have spent a lot of time singing. Why? Because we want to entertain you? No, we want to edify you. There's a, there, the, the worship team is very clear and very, there's a conscientiousness about them to make sure that what's being sung is tethered to Scripture, but it's also singable, right? There are certain songs that just aren't singable. Sometimes there are certain songs that may be on, on that are, are, and are intended for solos, and you know, some publisher has decided, we're going to make this a congregational song. And boy, is it, it's really tough to sing. You want to make sure that, you're, that it's not only singable, but you'll notice that our decibel level is rather low. Because we want to hear each other. That, that's on purpose. We, we have paid the electricity bill. But it's on purpose to make sure that we're hearing each other. Because it's encouraging hearing each other sing. But, but look, if you look at verses 1 to 3, this first point covers all of 7. But notice what's being said here. Shout for joy to the Lord, O you righteous. Look at what the commands are here. Shout for joy in the Lord. O you righteous, praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Not saying that you're not a truth teller, a liar. That's a, that's a stringed instrument. That's not a typo. That's a stringed instrument. Uh, make melody to him on the, on the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Music is, is important. In fact, as you may know, some of you may know if you're a guest, um, th- that was how I was starting off in ministry was in music. But my, my heart, while my heart was leading God's people in singing and leading a choir, one of the things that I loved to do on an academic level was I was going to be a hymnologist. And believe it or not, that's a thing. A hymnologist. That's not a disease. You know, that, that is actually a thing because what I loved about it was I was gonna, I was gonna study hymnology because it com- it hit all of the sweet spots of what I love. Music, church history, Bible, and theology. All of that came together because that's what the hymns were trying to do. The hymns were not simply just there to entertain. There are some publishers now where they, somebody comes along with a really good groove and they're like, that's really good. That'll sell a lot. We gotta put some words to that. And sometimes the words just don't fit or they, they don't go very deep. That's what I love about the music here. It, it, it teaches you things along the way. And what music is, is the vehicle to bring along truth. That's why those who are going through dementia, I said this a few weeks ago, let me say it again. That's why those who are going through dementia, they remember the hymns. 
I can go. There it used to be a time when I, I had when I was able to do this. I would go to the nursing homes, one of the smaller nursing homes, and there would be most of the people would be sitting there, and they weren't engaging me on a one to one level when I would talk to them. But if I would go over to the piano, or me and a, a, a an elderly lady named Johnny Fields, when we would go and we would sing, this is great memory. I'm just wow, and um, seeing everybody brighten up, and they started singing. They weren't engaging with anything else. So that's why we sing, because there's an aspect of singing and music that gets to the heart of something and gets to your mind, and it it worms its way in. I mean, has there gone through, has there been a sermon that I've preached probably over the last three years that I haven't quoted a hymn? Because that's what's happened to me. That'll be the last thing. If, if something like dementia or Alzheimer's happens to me, that'll be the last thing to go is I'll be able to probably sing every, every song in the hymn book. But that's what, the, that's what music does. And that's why the worship team practices. They talk about skillfulness. They don't just get up there and just let it fly. They work through some things because it's an offering to God. And, and, they, and, they, and they do this and they sing it. And they try to sing it as skillfully as possible. It's not the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, right? But sometimes that's what people think is, oh, I can't do it unless I'm perfect and I've got... No, no, no. That's not how this works. You are making a joyful noise unto the Lord. And that's where we are helping you as choir number one. Choir number two is helping choir number one to be able to engage in truth. Why? Because in verses four and five, it talks about that the word of the Lord is upright. Everything that's sung has to be tethered to scripture. That's where the praise comes from because the word of the Lord is upright. If we are people of the word, then our praise is going to be upright. It befits the upright. And all of his work that we sing about, all of his work that we preach about is done in faithfulness. And, and he loves righteousness. He likes things that are, that are approved by him and right by him. He loves righteousness and justice. When he sees injustice happening here in this world, he acts. He moves. It may not be in our time, but he does. And he calls his people to do the very same thing. And he, by his created work, he is filling the entire world, all four corners of it, with his steadfast love that never, ever moves, never, ever fails. Jerry Bridges wrote a book called uh, The Joy of Fearing God. And as, as we get into this next portion here, he, in fact, I'm, let, me, let me just put a pin in that. Let me just put a pin in that. I don't want to get too far ahead because in verses 6 and 7, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Just imagine being able to say something and by your naked word, it comes into being. But you know, when you were saved, that's exactly what happened. By God's word, he created a people. He created the first creation and he created you as a new creation. It wasn't by anything that you did. It was by his word. It was by the word, Jesus Christ. He came and he rescued you. And the question is, is that when, you, when, when the music is going and when praise, does praise befit you? Or has there, is there an obstacle that's keeping you from shouting and clapping and giving thanks and, and playing and singing? You know, we're, we're not supposed to be that sophisticated. God, David, when he's saying, he said he, would, he wanted to be undignified before the Lord. And I really think that there's an aspect of it when dignity has maybe risen to the top a little too much. I think we need to 
let go for the glory of God every so often. But uh, let's look at the second one where we're talking about here. And this is where I wanted to talk about this, uh, this Jerry Bridges quote, that, that praise comes from an awe of him. Praise comes from an awe of him. So, yeah, Jerry Bridges, he wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And he said this, music and liturgy can assist or express a worshiping heart, but they cannot make a non-worshiping heart into one. The danger is that they can give a non-worshiping heart a sense of having worshiped. So the crucial factor in worship in the church is not the form of worship, but the state of the heart of the saints. If our corporate worship isn't an expression of our individual worshiping lives, it is unacceptable. If you think you can live any way you want and then go to church on Sunday morning and turn on worship with the saints, you are wrong. How's your Monday through Saturday worship going? Then maybe if you come to church and say, I didn't get anything out of that worship, it's because Monday through Saturday you haven't put anything into it. So let's put something into it. And that's where the fear and the awe of the Lord comes from. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. It's the majesty and the glory of God that we tend to miss. We have turned God into our best friend. Now, is he our best friend? Jesus says in, in, in John 15 that he is, he's the friend of sinners. He is our friend because he lets us in on what he's doing. But is that all there is to Jesus? Are you with me, church? Is that all there is? No. We just sang a song. Holy, holy, holy. We have missed out on the holiness of God. Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Are we striving for holiness or do we believe or are we utilizing God's grace to be mediocre? To, to be apathetic about the things of God. Well, I've already walked the aisle, signed the card, prayed the prayer, got on the roll. I'm, I'm on his roll. God's a God of grace. I can do whatever I want. No. If your heart has been changed, why would you want to do whatever you wanted? You will want to do what he wants you to do. And that's where it, we, it, it comes into this. Look, let all the earth fear. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The power of the word of God, what's happening in the councils of heaven, he is making it happen. And that's important for us to understand because we are surrounded and affected by all of the nations, even including our own, who are making a bunch of other council, and they're trying to lead us in a direction. And, and ultimately, that direction is taking us away from God. That's why in verses 10 and 11, the Lord brings the council, brings the council of the nations to what? Nothing. Everything that all of these civilizations have tried to do to try to either make the world better or better for the, whoever the dignitaries are that are in charge, it's going to come to nothing. That's why we look back on certain things in Rome and Greece and think, how could they do that? Guess what? 200 years from now, some historians are going to be looking back on the United States and wondering, how could they have done that to their kids? How could they have done that to those moms? How could they have done that to those families? How could they have done that in that, in that, in that, in that culture that was supposed to be so sophisticated? It's going to all be brought to nothing but the counsel of the Lord. What does it say there? I even remember this from the first VBS I led as, as a music minister. I remember this, this was the passage. This was the verse of the, of the week. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to what? All generations. Every single generation. 
In Psalm 2, it talks about, in verses 1 to 3, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves up, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, they didn't like that God was telling them what to do and how to do it. And so they wanted to burst those cords so they could take counsel with each other and do what they wanted to do and go in their direction. And you see what is happening. The further and further we're getting away from what God is saying in his word, the more destructive this culture is becoming. You see it. You see it, you see it, and you see it. And so that's where we begin to look at this aspect of fearing the Lord. Well, I don't want to fear the Lord. He's my friend. He is holy, holy holy. And everybody that stood before a holy God and wasn't ready, you know what happened to them? They were dead. They were dead. And those who were ready were eating dirt. They bowed on their face because they saw the holy, holy, majestic God. Who wouldn't fear that to a degree? Who wouldn't fear that to a great degree? He is our majestic Lord. And that's where we have to realize is if God, by his word, can create everything without without having to pull something off the shelf or having to get his toolbox out, he could just say it and it came into being. How terrifying would that be for anybody else who's trying to live their way by their word? You can't even fix your own life, much less anybody else's. And here's the word of the Lord. Not only making a first creation, but making you into a new creation. There is an aspect of it where there is awe. And where he is worthy of worship. Worthy of praise. Great hymn, by the way. Great hymn. When we look at this, we have to recognize in verse 12, because this has been appropriated sometimes for us as Americans. You have to realize that this was originally written to Israel. And America is not Israel. America is America. Israel is Israel. But you look, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Well, who are the people that he chose as his heritage? His people, Israel. So what, is, what on this side of the cross is the, is the um, parallel? It's not America. Galatians tells us that the church is the Israel of God. It's his people. We are his people. We are that mighty nation whose citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. We are that nation. And we are a nation where God is building a kingdom out of his people and he's calling a people out of that kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. And how blessed it is for us to be a part of that. Now, can we also say that it is good for nations, political nations, to make sure that they are seeking the things of God? Absolutely. I mean, of course we're saying that. But we also have to realize the original intent of this and not take it out of its context and put it up on a pillow or put it up on a frame and then put our own meaning into it. Let's make sure we're putting God's meaning and God's intention into what is being said here. He is moving and working in his people and we trust in his counsels. That's why you're sitting here listening to a sermon from a loud mouth up here right now because we're trusting in his counsel. We want to hear what his counsel has to say and he's put it in his word. So let's hear what he has to say. Thirdly, beware of praising, because praise befits the upright. Beware of praising counterfeits. If you take a, take a dollar bill, there's people that can tell just by feeling that dollar bill. In fact, some, some you know, when you lose a sense, you gain 
um, abilities in your other senses. It, it, it compensates. And so there have been people who have been blind, and you would be able to hand them a $1 bill, $5 bill, $10 bill. They, they could just feel it and could tell. But we've also, there's also ways for us to be able to tell counterfeits. And, and whenever you pass someone a $20 bill, a $50 bill, a $100 bill, what do they do? They take it and they look up at it. I don't know what they're looking at. I think there's a watermark in there that they're looking at. But they're looking at it. Okay, this is good. This is legal tender. Let's go. You can have your product. We'll take our cash. Thank you very much. You have a wonderful day. But if it's a counterfeit, well, then, there's, then you've got a problem. And so that's where we have to realize is that if you look, go down to verse 16, I didn't forget about 13, 14, and 15, but you go back down to verse 16, some people are trusting in kings and their political dignitaries. If we vote this guy in, when are we going to learn our lesson? If we vote this guy in, he's going to take us to where we need to be. And if we vote this guy out, then that's going to be great. Okay. When has that worked? Not much. There's been no one on earth that has been perfect in any of those ways. And yet we put all of our eggs in that basket. Um, a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. Even the people that are in our military, we honor them. We th- are thankful for them. They're not perfect. There's been times when they may have made wrong decisions. There's been times they made right decisions. But we don't put them on a pedestal to worship them. We don't want to do that. The war horse is false for hope, and it cannot... And its great might cannot be rescued. So they're talking about politics and the military, which are the two institutions in our culture that have the most power. And if anything on earth could save, it would be them, but they can't. You know why? Well, now we go back to verse 13. See, I didn't forget. Verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. There's all this stuff going on, and we're trying to build our fame. We're trying, in fact, even in, in uh, Genesis 11, when they were building the Tower of Babel, they were building it up because what, what were they trying to do? They were trying to reach heaven. And sometimes by our good works, we're like, boy, if I keep piling up my good works and I keep doing all this good stuff, I'll reach heaven. And every time what's going to happen is God's not going to look here to you and say, wow, you made it. Hey, that's good. He's going to be looking down. And it talked in Genesis 11 about how they went, he went down to see what was going on. Of course, he knew what was going on. But that, was, that language was important. There is nothing that we can do to work our way. No ladder we can build, no success we can have, no inventions we can do. Nothing that we can do will be able to ever make us to get to where we are equal with God on our own. It's not going to happen. The Lord is looking down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. He's sitting on his throne. He's looking out over all of creation, seeing what's going on. And he is working things out for his own ends. And it's always good. He observes all their deeds. But in verse 18, what do we see? Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. His approving eye. He sees everything. But it's that approving eye. He, all of you who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. The Bible is littered with all sorts of leaders who have thought that they were all that, and God has knocked them out from underneath. And what, what do we say? Well, if you look in Daniel, you see Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar built a 90-foot statue that he wanted everybody to worship, and everybody bowed down except for three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he said, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. This is the MPV version, Matt Perry version. If you don't bow down, 
I'm going to throw you into the fire. And basically, what they said was, you know, our God's able to deliver. This is, this is one of my favorite passages. Our God is able to, to deliver. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow the knee to you. Threw him in the fire. And they were walking around. They weren't being burned up. And they looked in and they saw a fourth, like a son of man. Christ was there walking around with them, protecting them, delivering them from the fire, which is what he does to all of us who are believers. He delivers us from the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar was feeling pretty good about himself. And he looked out over everything, looked out over all that he had. And he said, boy, it's by my might and by my majesty. And there was an affliction of spirit in him to where he went and ate like a wild animal for seven years until he finally repented and God restored him. Do you remember in Acts 12 when Herod comes out and he starts speaking and they say he has the voice of a God and not a man? And immediately it says in verse 23, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give the glory to God and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. You say that's terrible for him. That's what's going to happen to any of us who reject the Lord, the word of the Lord, try to find glory in ourselves, try to find purpose and meaning in ourselves. One day that will happen to us for all of eternity. God is giving us warnings in this life about what is going to happen in the next. And are we going to listen to that? God is seeing what we're doing. He's seeing how we're behaving in our homes. He's seeing how we're treating our wife and our kids and our husbands. He's seeing what what we're doing and what we're sticking in our pockets at, at work. He's seeing what we're watching on TV or on our phones. He sees and he knows what we're thinking. And do we think we're going to be able to get away with it? We talked about this in youth. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Or if he sows to the flesh, from the flesh you will reap destruction if you sow to the spirit you'll reap life with your actions and your words and your speech your your speech your actions and and where you're going and, and what you're thinking what kind of seeds are you planting are you are you are your words and your actions planting life and building up an edification or are your words Again, whether it's the family or job or school or your neighbor, or your words planting seeds, that's just going to decimate everybody for generations. We have to realize that God is watching us. He loves us enough to give us his word and his counsel. He, He tells us what it means to be blessed, and yet we just go on. It's a Monday through Saturday life. It's not just Sunday go to meet in church life. It's not less, but certainly more. We have to see where our hope really lies. In verse 20, our praise emerges from hope. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Boy, the councils are coming up against us. Where will we be able to go? He's our help and he's our shield. Well, I don't know about the sin that I committed. Where am I? Where's my help and where's my? He's our help and our shield. He is our deliverance. Boy, that thing that happened 30 years ago, I don't know if anybody, if, if God could ever forgive me. I don't know if anybody, listen, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He is your hope. He is your help. He is your shield. He is your protector. 
Our heart is glad where? In the counsels of what everybody else is saying? No, our hearts are glad in Him. He's our hope. He's our shield because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. It's Father's Day. And but like on Mother's Day, as I mentioned earlier, this can be a day that is fantastic. You have great memories. Your father may still be around. You have great memories of him. And there's a lot to go in on. But then your father or your mom may have died. Your father or your mom may have not been good to you. You don't have good memories. And what can you do about that? The memories and the activities won't be able to change, right? You're not going to be able to bring your mom or dad back. And what they did, they're not going to be able to undo. It's already done. Tube's out of the toothpaste. The toothpaste is out of the tube, rather. Right words, wrong order. But from this point on, you can say, I have a heavenly father that by the work of Jesus Christ upon that cross, he not only has made me righteous, and he, he's adopted me. And that father, that mom, will never leave me or forsake me. I am his, and he is mine. That's the hope that we can have. And that hope will change our actions. The things that may inflame us, again, home, work, school, neighbors. In fact, you may just, you may just right now just be really just kind of ticked off at yourself. It's hard to get away from yourself, isn't it? Some people try. It doesn't work. Don't do that. But our hope is in Christ. Our joy is in what Christ has done. That empty cross, it's not moving. That empty tomb, nobody's going back in. It's empty and it'll stay empty. And whenever something happens in your life and you're wondering, where can my hope be found? I want you to think of the cross. And I want you to think of the empty tomb. And I want you to remember that what Jesus did is done. That when he finished it, it's finished. He's not going to go back on it. When he makes a promise, he's not going to renege on it. He's going to make sure that he is going to follow through. Is that the hope you have? If that's the hope you have, that's why going all the way back to the beginning, how could we stay quiet about it? Well, what are they going to think of me? cares what they think of you think of what christ thinks of you and carry on as if he thinks of you as his own treasured beloved child carry on and press on for what he's called you to be and what he has called you to do praise befits the upright because his word is upright his works are upright he's changed us let's carry on for the cause of christ And if there's any of you here that have never trusted in Christ, never have been to the bloody cross in the empty tomb, may this be the morning that you've done just that. Whatever you've done, he knows about it. He still loves you enough to die for your sins. Wow, 
What an amazing God that is. I'm about to shout myself, but I think I'm going to pray. Let's go. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for all that you've accomplished. And Lord, we say, Father God, on this Father's Day, we are thankful that you have shown us, even as we have, as dads have not always fulfilled what you've called us to do, Lord, you love us enough to bring us to where you'd have us to be so that we can repent. Lord, there may be times when we have a hard time praising because of things that may be happening in our lives. Bring us back to the cross. Bring us back to the empty tomb. Bring us back to the throne of grace and see the glory of all that you've accomplished for us. Know our lives may not be going as we anticipated, but we know that through the cross and the suffering of Christ that our suffering has meaning and purpose. Help us, Lord, to see what you have for us. This life is temporary. Eternal life is, well, eternal. And I pray that all that you've called us to do, Father, the number one thing is for us to confess and repent of our sins and to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If there's anyone here that has never done that, I pray, Lord, that this would be the morning, that as the Spirit leads, that this would be the morning. But if there's any others that realize that there's aspects of their lives that do not go according to your design, I pray, Father, that there would be some significant repentance going on in the hearts and minds of your people here so that we can move forward with joy and hope. Guide us in all that we do and say. And may we not leave here without knowing that we are right with you through Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. So what were we singing? It's my life and Lord. So.